Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or physician and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome, everybody, to yet another episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, one where we are going to proactively address some of the mindset shifts around associate ownership in your business. What are they looking for? What do they want? Why is it seemingly such a tough nut to crack? We're going to cover a lot of that on today's show. It will surely take another cup of that wonderful meal of coffee. So brew it and get ready. Pad and pen in hand. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Welcome, everybody, once again to another episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. I appreciate you joining me on the show today. And as I teased in the introduction, I'm going to talk about proactively addressing the associate mindset around ownership. Uh, On the prior episode or one of the prior episodes, I talked about a changing mindset for the owners of businesses in a historical context. This one is going to be the other side of that same coin. Associates, what the heck are they looking for? Why is it such a tough nut to crack? And what are we dealing with here? And I'm going to try to get behind that because we get the I'll say privilege of working with so many emerging groups. We get to see so many associates. Sometimes they're very guarded. Sometimes they're very open, but there seems to be some similar trains of thought running through all of them. And I think for those of you who are building group practices and contemplating bringing associates into the ownership of the business, this will be an episode that allows you to understand a little bit more of who your target market is even if you haven't had these conversations before. So let's maybe start with a little bit of context around the world that we live in today. And the proliferation of group practices and enterprise level DSOs, most usually backed by private equity, uh, has been a, a relatively recent phenomenon, not like last year, obviously, but the last 10 to 15 years or so. And many of you are recruiting associates who are either right out of dental school, or they're arguably out of their first associateship. Maybe it's a failed associateship from a a private practice, or maybe they spent a little bit of time working for one of those enterprise level DSOs and found it not to their liking. Regardless, if we're talking about somebody who's right out of school or right out of an associateship, they're coming to you, they're looking to work with you, bringing some bias to the table. This is important. And I think it's something that not enough of you are mindful of on the recruiting trail. Think about dental schools for a second. And maybe more specifically, think about the people teaching in dental schools for a second. What is their predisposition around the entire group practice space? Those administrators are not very complimentary of the big bad wolf. And sometimes group practices get painted with the same brush. And we all know what that brush is. 
the enterprise level DSOs that are private equity backed are run by a bunch of vulture capitalists uh, that are just bean counters and they treat uh, young associates really, really badly. Unfortunately, there's been some history of that in, in our world for sure, but I don't think that's the case for all of them. Too many of you building group practices get painted with the brush that you're building a group practice simply because you want to cash it in. You want to make a windfall um, of uh, monetizing your equity in your business and you want to buy an island in the Caribbean. And therefore, all group practices are built for exit. And the only person who's going to benefit is the founder. You and I both know that's also not true. But this is the scenario that often is I don't want to say, you know, uh, indoctrinated, but it's it's talked about openly in many of the dental schools these days, because most of the administrators, most of the teachers come from a world of dentistry where there were no group practices. It was prior to the Heartland Dental, Affordable Dentures, Pacific Dental, Aspen Dental uh, companies that came uh, to the fore. And really, dentistry was what it had always been historically, and that was solo private practice, uh, solo owner in a very fragmented world. And that's what all of them know and like, and they felt like a lot of those administrators feel like um, that was the golden age of dentistry because it was all about, you know, um, the benefit of the treatment for the patients. And there was no other outside influence. That's not the world we live in right now. So if you're recruiting associates that are coming out of dental school or residency, obviously, um, they are not too distant from this. The second thing would be that if you are recruiting uh, young associates who um, have been in the workforce for a short period of time and they come from uh, an enterprise level DSO or a failed associateship, whatever that um, negative outcome is that caused them to leave that prior business basically is corroborating what they were taught in dental school. That means the deck is kind of stacked against you and you have to create a new narrative. And I don't think that enough of us are really aware of this when we think about recruiting. We think about recruiting to fill a hole. We think about a compensation rate. Maybe we do have an, a, an equity plan in place. You know, whatever our MO is in terms of the way we approach recruiting, we tend to think about recruiting from the merit and the value of the businesses we have, not the mindset of the candidate we're recruiting. And, and I think this is something that if left unaddressed or if you're not proactive about it, then it, it's left to fester. And we don't want that to happen. I believe that, you know, so many of you, all of you, in the audience are building great businesses. And I believe that you're building in the right way for the right reasons. And I believe that you actually have your associates' best interest in mind, but they, they are probably coming into the relationship, the employment with you um, with, a, with a degree of maybe healthy skepticism, if I can put it that way. And I don't think many of you are mindful enough to realize that. And I don't think enough of you are doing enough proactively to try to change that mindset. And that's critically important. So what are they what are they looking for when they find a home, when they find a place to work? Yeah, there are a handful of them that are simply looking for a job. I hate to put it that way, but it, you know, it, it's a healthcare services job. They're looking for 
uh, the ability to practice their craft, their ability to to make money to feed their families. They don't want any ownership uh, responsibilities or hassle dealing with hiring and firing and all that other kind of fun stuff. Um, and they are just wired to be employees. There is a segment of the population of licensed dentists, and that is what they want. That and that's okay. But the vast majority still operate with an owner mindset and to a degree, an entrepreneurial mindset. And I, I think that is a differentiator when people choose to go to dental school over medical school. And, and that has been that way historically, I would add as well. So with that in mind, what are they looking for? They've been taught in dental school that DSOs and private equity groups and group practices are, you know, the tool of the devil, the boogeyman, the fourth rider of the apocalypse, and everything else that's coming home to roost. Uh, they're skeptical and they're scared. Um, and they're they're scared because they feel like they have a lack of control. A and all of us operate with some level of desire for control in our lives, both personally and professionally. You do it, I do it, our employees do it to a great degree. That is common. And we want to feel like we are, to a degree, in control of some semblance of our destiny. So as an associate, what does that mean? That typically means some level of ownership. And they, they rightly or wrongly, they view control as being tied to ownership in the business. Okay. So let's unpack that for a second. The associate feels like if they are an owner in the business, they can't be fired. The associate feels like if they are an owner in the business, they're going to have a significant voice in the overall direction, governance, and outcomes of the business. They feel like if they are an owner in the business, that there is something beyond their clinical compensation financially that they will be the beneficiary of. If they are an they believe that if they are an owner in the business, they will have the ownership privileges of running certain expenses through the business. And ultimately they feel like if they are an owner in the business, they will uh, reap the rewards of any potential sale along the way um, that would accrue to them. All of what I just ramble through reverts back to some level of security and control around the outcome, the journey and the outcome of their career. And that is not altogether accurate, but it is what they perceive. And if you have not thought about any of these contextual pieces, they are areas of jeopardy and they are um, uh, strings left untied in the mindset of your associates. And I think it's critical to understand where they're coming from because all too often they don't voice these concerns to you and they may not be really clear about what those concerns actually are to themselves. They just realize that as an employee, there's a level of anxiety around, hey, I could be fired tomorrow or, hey, the business could be sold tomorrow and I'm going to get sold into indentured servitude, you know, which that's not the case either. But these are the, the fallacies that we have to, um, uh, you know, 
we have to be able to allay these fears for our associates, because if we're not, then they're wrestling with things in their mind that's unbeknownst to us. And if we don't know about them, we can't solve them. When I say we, I mean the business owners. So I think this is a, a critical point that when you think about leading, governing your business, growing your business, um, minimizing turnover and everything, all of this plays a role in it. So let's unpack some of that real quick, because I think it's it's kind of important for, for you to understand it too. And that is first and foremost, if they're an owner in the business, they can't be fired. That's wrong. You absolutely can be fired if you're an owner in the business, if you're a founder in the in the business by by your partners. I mean, if you lose there, there should be, I say preface this by saying there should be a, a rhyme and reason, a methodology, a documented course of action uh, that could result in a, a termination for cause. And that should be outlined in the operating agreement between partners. So just because I, I have a a restricted stock unit uh, equity program within your business. And I'm a high performing associate. And over the course of time, I've, you know, earned half a million dollars worth of equity in your business. And I'm a, let's say a 5% owner. If I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, I, you know, can't get rid of me now. I've got ultimate job security. That's wrong. You absolutely can terminate for cause or not for cause one of your minority partners. So just because they view ownership as being uh, in greater control of their career is not technically accurate for them. And it's also not a point of jeopardy for you that if you do allow them to earn or, or buy into the business that you could never get rid of them. Hey, it's Perrin. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to learn more in depth about partnerships and associates, be sure to download our white paper called Creating Sustainable Success in Attracting and Retaining Associates. And if you want to learn more granular detail about buy-in and earn-in structures, as well as the legal aspects required to facilitate all of it, you should join us in Scottsdale on October 11th through 13th for our Scaling from Clinician to CEO Summit, because there'll be three different presentations dealing with all of that. And you'll have access to some incredibly bright minds over those three days. I'll drop a link in the show note for both the white paper and the registration for the conference to make it easy on you. Now, back to the show. There are lots of business divorces, you know, that take place. And, and this is not unique to, to group healthcare, dentistry, or otherwise. It's very commonplace. All right. So just because they believe that doesn't mean that it's true, but it can be a great way for you to approach equity in your business by allaying some of their fears and allowing them to sleep better at night as an owner and a partner in the business, wh whether what they believe is true or not, at least it, it lowers the temperature in the room, so to speak. It, it creates a, uh, it takes away an element of jeopardy off the table for them. You know, the, the voice in the direction of the business, you know, again, technically that may not be true. Um, you ownership equity in a business has what we call rights and privileges. There is the, the ownership piece that if the business were sold, whatever the value of the business is accrues to them pro rata, meaning according to ownership. Um, 
you know, but there's also beyond just ownership in the business, rights and privileges involve voting or non-voting shares and rights to distribution when and where distributions are declared. So I mentioned, you know, a, a voice in the say of the business and then a, an access to, to income beyond their clinical compensation. Depending upon how your business is structured, they may not have either of those rights and privileges. My personal opinion is that from a voting standpoint, you would want them to have the opportunity to cast a vote. You would want to welcome their input in the direction of the business and the, you know, where the business is going. You want their active participation in it. You want them to feel like their voice matters. Now, voting wise, you may vote them, outvote them 99% to 1%. You know, so there's nothing unanimous in your operating agreement. They can't hold you up from from doing anything. And if they vote no on something, you vote yes, then the outcome is pretty obvious. But at the same time, I think we we all want to create businesses where we feel like where where our employees feel like their opinion matters, be it a, a vote or not. And and you know that is a, a key component that you want to proactively promote to them that, hey, I am creating a, I've created a, a, an equity path, a pathway to partnership for you and all the other high performing associates. And I want to know what you think. I want your active participation in the business beyond just your, the clinical application of, of providing clinical services. I want your, your opinion as a leader in the business. I want to see you grow as a leader over the next five to 10 years. I want you to be a, a participant in things that are bigger than yourself. I think you can cater to that and really, this is sort of a, I hate to put it this way, it's kind of an ego stroke, right? I mean, I know that when I was early on in my Patterson career, I was one of 70 general managers in, in the company that ran different operating businesses at that time. And, you know, the the businesses that I ran were small in comparison to the company as a whole, you know, but when the senior leadership pulled me aside and said, hey, Perrin, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? Or I got put into a focus group or a working group that had, you know, some type of a, an input in, in a new initiative that the company was pursuing. As a small business leader of the organization, that made me feel good. It, it made me feel like I was really contributing to the whole. And yeah, it's an ego stroke. But when somebody says, tell me what you think. That goes a long way in terms of interpersonal currency. And I think that's what you want to create with some of your high-performing associates, certainly those that that earn shares in the business. Whether or not you elect to declare distributions and if you do, how much those distributions are, I mean, you know, that's a different... That's a different podcast about how we use distributions and recycling cash and all that other kind of stuff. But I mean, I think, you know, if if it's something where they earn a significant benefit in the business and you want to declare some level of distributions, that can be kind of a an added benefit. But I don't think that's necessarily a huge driver. I mean, what we're trying to do is build a more valuable business at the end of the day. And certainly we want them to be a a, a part of that. You know, the um, the other aspects of this around personal benefit in the business are one that, you know, might or might not be appropriate. Uh, it could be you run all that through your personal LLCs instead of the company. It could be that you have some type of allocatable funds or a, an amount to allow for that. But, you know, if you're building a group practice, 
it stands to reason that your primary rationale for doing that is to build a more valuable company, whether or not you decide to sell it, it's a, a different conversation, but we want to create a more valuable business. And the more we load up our expense structure with personal benefit expenses is, is the more we suppress the value of the business. So to me, you know, just having some level of owner benefit of a car payment or whatever else through the business, you got to be really judicious about the type of business you're trying to create and why you're trying to create it. So that, that may be um, a, a misalignment of um, vision priorities and 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 the why behind what we're building that could be part of a larger conversation. But it is something that they've been taught historically that, hey, when you own your own business, you can run your car through it. You can employ your kids. You can you know, run your country club membership or, you know, uh, tickets to the pro sports teams or lawn care and, you know, uniforms uh, that are dry clean and all, all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, meals and entertainment trips with the family, blah, 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 blah. So what, when you're when you're dealing with that type of a mindset of some people that have preconceived notions around what business ownership is and isn't and how it benefits them versus the business that you're trying to build and what the actual outcomes are, these are all things that you can use to your advantage. But if you don't know to address them, to bring them up, to have these conversations with your associates, then you're you're dealing with a massive unknown, even though you're not aware of it. And it's a and it's a consideration. It's a decision point. It's a concern for your associates whether or not they voice it to you. The reason that I felt so strongly about this uh, topic concept is once again because for most of these associate equity models that we build and deliver for clients, we get the opportunity to interact with a good number of associates, be they specialists, general dentists, or all over the country. And sometimes these things come to light in that presentation that we do on the equity model and the changes of the industry and trends and you know what we're trying to build and all that kind of good stuff. We present that on your behalf to your associates. And obviously, we want, we want to engage them in questions along the way. Sometimes they sit there just quiet, sitting on their hands, and they're maybe overwhelmed or they don't know what to ask. And others you know, are very forthcoming about their concerns, their preconceived notions, and what about this, and what about that, and how does this impact that? You know, and and there there's sort of a similar train of thought that we hear from a lot of them. So I felt like if this was something we were hearing from a lot of clients building these models, that it might be beneficial to to all of you in the audience, whether or not you have actually heard any of this from your associates up to this point. You know, if if you haven't. It doesn't mean they're not thinking about it. Quite the contrary, I would all but guarantee you that they are. And now you've got more, um, a little bit more uh, context around some of the challenges you've got to overcome, whether or not they've been voiced uh, um, to you up to this point. So I hope you find that to be um, uh, educational, for lack of a better term. And I really hope that I've made you think, not just when you're thinking about associates and equity and bringing people into the ownership structure of the business, we all think about ourselves first and foremost and the what's in it for me piece. That's completely understandable. We don't talk nearly enough about what's in it for them. 
And I think that's the the key for today's episode that you really want to get behind that mindset and figure out what you can do to disarm some of it. And when you do bring them into the ownership structure of the business, how some of that can be the solution for the fears that they have that are unvoiced and unacknowledged uh, to you up to this point. So I hope that's a hope that's educational and a bit thought provoking as well. If you've got questions around any of this, uh, obviously reach out. We're, we're a resource to you and be happy to, to book a meeting um, with you, take a call about your business and, and some of where you find yourself structurally uh, at this point of your growth strategy. Stick around for some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. Thanks, everybody, once again, for joining me on the show today. Um, This was a little bit of a different angle around uh, associate ownership in the business than we normally play. So I hope you found that to be um, uh, thought-provoking for you. And speaking of associates, uh, we have uh, probably somebody who's not a a new hire, Zach Williams, uh, who's joined our team. Shame on me, your host, for, for not including this in a podcast Previously, I don't think I did, and sometimes I miss the forest through the trees as well, or miss details on it at least. And Zach is the the latest uh, member of our data and analytics team as an associate. What we call associates is different than what you call associates, but Zach is uh, going to uh, be a great member of our team. We're super excited about having him on board. Uh, He joined us probably about, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, about six or eight weeks ago now, and had spent a number of years uh, with the charter communications company in their um, analytics and strategy department. He was a senior financial analyst for them uh, for the last couple of years. Uh, and is is really tremendous in terms of financial modeling, uh, Excel models, data outcomes, uh, and and a lot of other uh, M and A related concepts as it relates to strategy. And I think the cool thing for Zach is that, you know, that was an enterprise level business where he was one of a number of analysts. And here on our data and analytics team, he's about one of five that really gets to make a a huge impact on the clients we serve and the work that gets done and also gets to see the output of it, which was one of the challenges that he experienced about being a bit, um, I'll say, disconnected from the outcomes of the work that he was doing. And and I think he is uh, sort of, as we, we talk about um, all of you recruiting associates into your business that have some level of experience doing, uh, practicing their craft you know, in in the real world, and then coming to to work for a group like yours, uh, and being able to make more of an impact on the business. That same story holds true uh, for Zach and 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 the people on our data and analytics team. They typically do come from some level of corporate America type endeavor, uh, where they've honed their skills uh, and and felt like kind of a a cog in a wheel. You know, um, and and this was one where I think he's going to be a a tremendous asset uh, on an already strong team for us, but some somebody who um, cut his teeth elsewhere and really was looking for the right company where he could make an impact and really understand how the work that he did was connected to how the client used it. And so we're super excited about having Zach on our team, and and y'all will get to meet him. Uh, for those of you coming to um, 
the Scottsdale event, October 11th through 13th, scaling from clinician to CEO, Zach will be in tow. Uh, and we'll be uh, we'll be out there, and certainly for a lot of our clients, uh, you'll get a chance to meet him as he does um, a lot of the analytics work on your businesses. So welcome to the team, uh, to Zach Williams, and we're really fortunate about having him on board. We are also really fortunate to have you and our audience, and I can't thank you enough for um, recommending the show to so many people and to. Um, you know, referring us, that's really the way we grow our audience. And it's always fun to see when I look at the downloads, um, to see on a random Saturday or Sunday or a Monday or something like that, where we haven't released a new episode. And I see, you know, a hundred downloads or a couple of hundred downloads, uh, that tells me that somebody, somebody turned a friend onto our show and when they did, they, the friend liked what they heard. And so they binge downloaded everything we have in our our, our library. And that's kind of cool to see. So thank you all for being such proponents of what we do and such friends of the family, so to speak. It's how we grow our audience, how we grow our network, and ultimately how we, how we grow our business. And every bit the way that you love getting referrals into your uh, groups from existing patients. We love getting uh, people into our audience and new clients on board from the references that y'all give us. And we're grateful for that. So thank you so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.